following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. This whole week has been focused on end-time Bible prophecy. And we've gone late most every night and such, and that's not been because of music. That's been because of the preaching. And But these kind of messages, I nor, I'm an evangelist, and, and these are not the kind of messages I normally preach. But these type of messages, there's just no way possible I could cover the material we've covered this week in a 30, 35-minute message. That's impossible. It just took a, takes a lot more time. And so thank you for being patient, and uh, thank you for being uh, faithful. And I pray that God has used all of these messages to, to, uh, uh, to inspire you and, uh, and to help you to realize that the coming of Jesus really could be any time. Amen? And make you have a hunger and a thirst for him and his kingdom and for righteousness. And I said it Sunday morning, folks. I, I, I believe we're living in the 11th hour. I believe it's that late. I don't believe we're living in the last days. I believe we're living in the last of the last of the last days. Amen. And I'm, I'm listening for the trumpet. I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. Hallelujah. Amen. I really am. I really am. And uh, we don't know when he's going to come, but we do know this. We need to be ready. And he said you could look at the signs and know that his coming is near. And there are a lot of signs appearing in the day and time that we're living. But before I move into my message tonight, I'm going to go over this little chart, uh, some of the stuff I gave to you. But before I do that, church, I just want to thank you uh, this week for your hospitality, for your generosity. This is my third year uh, to be back with you. And, and uh, I always look forward to coming here. And you all are always so kind to me. And I appreciate that uh, so much. And again, I appreciate Broken Vessels and the opportunity to serve with them this week. And uh, I'm so thankful for your pastor and his wife and for for their hospitality and their friendship and their blessing and all the wonderful meals we've, we've shared this week. Got to their house last night and had a wonderful, wonderful meal. And then they broke out the Bluebell ice cream. Can I get a witness? Somebody say amen. And, uh, man, but we, we thank you so much. And, uh, Marcy, thank you so much, uh, Brother Tracy. You all have been a joy, uh, to be with as always. And thank you for inviting me to come and allowing me to be back with you this year. Well, I want you to, you can take this. I'm not going to cover it word for word because I need to, I need to get into my message tonight. But I just kind of want to remind you in this little chart here, give you an idea. But, you know, here, here's the order of things. I, I believe with all my heart, and I'm going to preach about it here in a few moments, that the next event on the prophetic calendar will be the rapture of the church. And the rapture of the church is when Jesus comes in the air to get his church, to get his bride. He doesn't come to the earth. He comes in the air to get his church. And when that happens, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead and there's going to be a translation of the living. That is the rapture of the church. And I'll say a lot more about that here when I get into my message in just a few minutes. But after the rapture, after the church is removed, it's going to begin a time period on the earth that the Bible calls the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's 
trouble. And that's going to be at that seven-year period, and many things are going to happen during that seven-year period. And you say, what what all is going to happen? Well, we've, we've been talking about most of those this week, but everything from Revelation chapter 6 all the way into chapter 19, all those things are going to happen during that seven-year period. All of those things are yet future. One of the highlights of that thing will be there will be a world leader who's going to emerge, who we preached about last night, whom the Bible calls the Antichrist, the beast out of the sea. And he's going to be a world ruler as the nations of the world unite under him. And there will be a one-world global government. You say, oh, that never happened. Oh, it's going to happen. There'll be a one-world global government. That's the push right now, believe me. There'll be a one-world economy. There'll be a one-world false religion and many, many other things that are going to emerge during that time. It's going to be an awful time. It's going to be a terrible time of people being martyred and death and disease and wars and all kind of things will happen during the tribulation period. And I say that to say this, you don't want to miss the rapture, amen? If the rapture happens in your lifetime, you want to make sure that you're saved and that you're ready uh, to go, and you need to make sure of that anyway. But then at the end of the tribulation, the Lord Jesus is going to step out from the portals of glory, and he's going to come back this time to the earth. In the rapture, he comes in the air to get his church. In his second coming, his return, he comes back to the earth with his church. Amen? And he's going to come back to the earth, and several things are going to transpire. You read about that in Revelation uh, chapter 20. There's going to be a, a battle of Armageddon. There's going to be a millennial kingdom. Millennial means 1,000, a 1,000-year 1, reign of Christ upon the earth. And uh, Satan's going to be bound during that thousand years. But after the thousand years, he's going to be led out for a short time, the Bible says. He's going to have one more revolt against Christ. You say, how's he going to do that? All these believers have been in heaven. Well, it ain't the believers have been in heaven that's going to be the problem. It's going to be those who who uh, entered into the millennial kingdom who who survived the tribulation and those who were born born during the millennial kingdom. And you go in the millennial kingdom, there are going to be people with resurrected glorified bodies. There are going to be those who are just natural. There are going to be people who are going to be born in the millennial kingdom who aren't, who aren't saved. Amen. And at the end of that thousand years, that's where Satan's going to get those who are going to rebel against God in a perfect, perfect environment, just like the garden of Eden was same deal. And they're going to rebel against God one more time, but it's going to be very short. And Jesus is going to finish it off. And the devil and the false prophet and the Antichrist are going to be cast into the lake of fire and the hell forever. And then eternity is going to begin with a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to living in the millennial kingdom and I'm looking forward to eternity forever. Amen. And amen. Well, take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn, uh, first of all, to Matthew, the 24th chapter. I'll be preaching from a couple other places, but I want to use this passage uh, to launch us into the message tonight. Matthew 24, we've visited this chapter many times this week, and I know a lot of the stuff we've looked at has been very repetitive, but it's had to be uh, in order to study this. All right, Matthew 24. 
beginning at verse 36. And I'm going to invite you, if you would please, to stand with me out of honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word. Matthew 24, beginning with verse 36, the Lord Jesus is speaking. He says, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he gives examples. He says, then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and not suffered his house to be broken up. Now look at verse 44. Therefore, be ye also, what's that next word, church? Ready. Are you ready? The only way you can be ready is if you're saved, if you've been born again. Amen? Be ye ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man will come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We praise you tonight. And Father, we thank you for the time we've had here together all this week and for the time here this evening. And Lord, once again, as we get into your word of God tonight, we're asking that the Spirit of God might speak to our hearts. Lord, we know that we're living in the last days. We know that Jesus really could come at any hour. He could come at any moment. He might come before we finish this service. But Father, I pray tonight as you speak to hearts that we'll all look deep within our hearts and examine our lives and see where we are with you. Lord, I just believe tonight there are people in this building who are not ready. They're not prepared. They've never been born again. They may be religious, but they don't have a relationship with you. And Father, tonight I pray that there'll be those this evening who will realize that and they will surrender their life to you and have a real encounter with Jesus tonight who will become Lord and Master and Savior of their lives. So, Father, that's our prayer tonight, that you'll save those without Christ. You'll save the lost. I pray that you'll stir the hearts of the saved, that, Father, we might draw closer to you, fall more in love with you, and get busy about your business for the time that we have left. So, Father, speak to hearts tonight as only you can do, and we'll give you the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we ask, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Some of you will remember this. A few years ago, authors Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins wrote a series of books called the Left Behind series. How many of you read that? Wow, a lot of you did. Well, these were fictional stories and fictional characters based off true prophetic biblical events. The second coming of Jesus is mentioned in the Bible over 300 times in the New Testament alone. That means that about one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament talk about Jesus coming back. 
And that ought not surprise us. You know, the Lord Jesus himself said that one day he would come. The prophets and the apostles all said that Jesus would come back. Even the angels of heaven said that he would. And so the question is not, will Jesus return? Will Jesus come again? That's already settled. The Bible settles that just like he came the first time. He's going to come a second time. Amen? But the question is this, when he comes, will you be ready? Because according to the Bible, when Jesus comes, some are going to be taken and others are going to be left behind. According to the verses that we just read, when Jesus comes, there are going to be families and there are going to be friends separated forever. There are going to be husbands and wives separated forever. There are going to be children and parents separated forever. One taken, others left behind. And friends, because of that, we need to make absolutely certain in our heart that we're ready and we ought to live every day as if though it all might be our last day because Jesus very well could come at any moment. Now, I realize that the Bible says, in fact, Jesus says that no one knows the day or the hour of his coming. But the Bible also says that you can look at the signs of the time and you could know that his coming is near. In fact, Jesus gave several examples of that in the scripture. In fact, he said, when you look around and he said, the days are getting like they were in the days of Noah or like they were in the days of Lot, he said, you can know that my coming is near. Well, what was it like in those days? Well, the Bible tells us that the earth was full of sin and full of wickedness. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Amen. And God told Noah to build an ark for he and his family because he had had enough and he was going to flood the entire earth, destroy the entire earth in the floodwaters of his judgment. And the Bible says that Noah began building that ark. He preached that judgment was coming. He urged the people to repent and turn to God, but they refused to listen to him. They ignored all the warnings, just like the people are doing today. Then one day it began to rain, and it rained for 40 days. It rained for 40 nights, and the entire earth was flooded in the, in, in the floodwaters of God's judgment. Every human in the human race died except for Noah and for his family. They had plenty of warnings. They just refused to listen to the warnings. You know, it was the same way in the days of Lot. Remember the story about Lot? God told Lot to get out of that wicked city he was living in uh, called Sodom because God was going to destroy that city by sending fire and brimstone down from the sky. But the people ignored him. They continued to eat and drink and live their ungodly lifestyles until God had had enough and God leveled that city, leveled that city, wiped it out in the fires of his judgment. And you may ask, well, what's the point, preacher? Simply this, when you look around and you see that things are getting like they were in the day of Noah's day or Lot's day, you could know that Jesus' coming may be soon. Friends, think about this. We have more churches today and more preachers and more Bibles than we've ever had before. 
We have more people that confess to be Christian, and I use that lightly, confess to be Christians than any generation before. But yet we are living in the most sinful, ungodly, wicked generation in history. Amen? And friends, I'm telling you tonight that time is running out. And you want to make absolutely certain that you are ready. Now, when the Bible talks about Jesus coming, it says that he's going to come quietly, unexpectedly. He's going to come like a thief in the night. First Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about that. Uh, other places in the Bible... It says that when he comes, it's going to be visible for everyone to see. And, and, and uh, he's going to come back at, like a king and as Lord of Lords. Well, which is he going to do? Well, he's actually going to do both. Amen? Because his second coming, as we've seen this week, is going to be in two phases. I always like to tell people this, that his coming is twofold, and it takes seven years to unfold. Amen? And so the first phase of his coming is what we call the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. We've been talking about it all week. Now we're finally going to get to it. Amen. The rapture of the church. Look at 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. And we've visited these verses already this week, but let's look at them now. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and beginning at verse 13 all the way down to verse 18, the Apostle Paul describes this event for us that we know as the rapture of the church. Look what he says at verse 13. He said, I'd not have you to be ignorant or misinformed, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, talking about those who've already died and gone on to heaven to be with the Lord, that you sorrow not as others which have no hope. You see, if you're not saved tonight, friend, you don't have any hope. The only hope that you have is that somebody will tell you about Jesus and tell you how to be saved. Amen? It says, sorrows those that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Look at verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not prevent or precede those that are asleep. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's a resurrection. Then we, Paul thought the rapture was going to happen in his lifetime. He said, we which are alive and remain shall be called up, raptured together uh, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the first part of the Lord's coming is the part that we're waiting on right now. And by the way, there are no signs for the rapture. There's not one sign. There's not one prophecy that has to be fulfilled for the rapture. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of signs for his return back to the earth that, that, that need to be fulfilled yet. Amen. But there are none for the rapture and those for the second coming won't start happening until after the church is removed. So what is the rapture? Well, that is that time when Jesus Christ is going to come in the air for his church. You say, what church? All born again, blood washed believers. Amen. Those who've been born again. Those who truly know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And friends, when he comes, the Bible said there's going to be the resurrection of the dead and there's going to be the translation of 
the living. Now, I've mentioned several times this week that some people are critical about the rapture, and they'll say, well, the word rapture is not found in the Bible, so there must not be any such thing. And while the English word rapture is not found in the Bible, I agree with that, the rapture is in the Bible. Amen? It's the Greek word harpazo, and it's in the Bible several times, not just one time, and it's referring to the rapture. You know what the Greek word harpazo means? It means to be called up. That's why it's translated in two words in that verse, called up. It means to be called up. It means to be snatched up. It means to seize with force. It means to be kept from danger. Amen? And, and, and it's been translated in the two words, called up. You say, well, why do we call it rapture since the English word rapture is not in the Bible? Well, before the Bible was ever translated into English, it was translated into Latin, and Latin used a word rapturo, rapturo, and we kind of got the word rapture from that. Amen? And it's just kind of called on as the official term for this event. But what it is, it's actually the blessed hope of the believer. Amen? It's the blessed hope of when Christ comes in the air to get his church. As I've already said, no prophecies have to happen for the rapture. It could happen at any moment. Well, what's going to transpire when the rapture happens? Let me point out about four things. First of all, there'll be the coming of Christ, the coming of Jesus. Look back at verse uh, 16, excuse me. For the Lord himself, that's talking about Jesus, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. Amen? So there'll be the coming of Christ. Secondly, there'll be the resurrection of the dead. Look at what it says. It says the dead who? In Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? That's those who are saved. That's those who have a relationship with him, who've been born again. Amen? They're already, their bodies in the grave, they're already in heaven. Amen? And their bodies are going to be resurrected and going to be joined to their spirit, and they're going to have a glorified, resurrected body for all of eternity. Amen? And so there'll be a coming of Christ. There'll be a resurrection of the dead. Thirdly, this is my favorite part, there'll be the translation of the living. Look at verse 17. I love this. Then we which are alive and remain. Do you realize you could be part of the generation that's going to see that? Amen. We which are alive and remain shall be what? Called up, snatched up, seized with force, raptured together with them, talking about the dead who have raised in clouds so that, so that we'll meet the Lord where? On the earth? No, it says in the air. And thus shall we ever be with the Lord. And by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 talks about the rapture. It does. That's what it's in the con. That's the resurrection chapter of the Bible. And it says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. That's, that's referring to this event. That's referring to the rapture. Now, I pastored for 22 years before God put me in evangelism almost 15 years ago. And, and uh, you know, pastoring churches, I remember my wife seemed like she was always in charge of the nurseries, it seemed like. And uh, and I remember she put a sign on one of the doors for the babies. And, it, and she put 1 Corinthians 15, 51. We shall not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. <laughs> Amen. But that's true with the rapture. In a moment, in a twinkling of 
an eye. Now, I love to share this story. Every time I preach on the rapture, I usually share this story. I heard about this farmer from Arkansas that lived out in the hills. I think he lived over close to where Tory and them lived, probably. And anyway, he had never been in the town. He had never been to the big city ever, ever. Well, he got pretty sick. And the country doctor said, you're going to have to go to the big city and you're going to have to go to the hospital and see the big city doctor because you've got something serious wrong with you. So they loaded him up in the truck, his boys did. They took him to the big city. And man, he had never seen such things. And they took him inside and he sat down out there in the foyer of the hospital. You know how all how that is when you're waiting on an appointment. And he's seated directly across from the elevator. He'd never seen an elevator in his life. He'd never been in a hospital in his life. And all of a sudden, those big steel doors open, and out come this elderly woman bent over like this, walking with a walker real slow, and she walked out, and the door shut behind her, and he watched her walking down the hall, and he thought, what in the world? A few seconds later, those doors opened again, and out stepped a beautiful young lady, and she come walking out. He looked over at her. He looked back at that old woman. He said, boys, go back to the farm and get your mom and run her through that thing. Amen? Why? Well, I want to tell you, that's the way the rapture is going to be. There's going to be some changes take place. Amen? In a moment. In a twinkling of an eye, that quick, that quick, you're going to be translated. And then finally it says there will be a reunion in heaven. Did you notice that? He says, so we will ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I don't know about you, that gives me great comfort. Amen? It, it really does. And what a glorious day that's going to be if you're saved. If you're not saved, it's going to be nothing but doom and gloom and misery and despair and hell. But if you know Christ, friend, you're going to go with him. Can you imagine what it's going to be like on this earth? All of a sudden, there are going to be cars missing drivers. There are going to be jet planes missing pilots. There are going to be homes missing children and husband and wives and parents. There are going to be friends missing. There are going to be students missing at school and teachers missing. There's going to be total chaos and devastation across the entire globe all over the world. Amen? Why millions and millions of people all of a sudden are missing. You know what, how I think the, the evening, uh, fake news is going to explain it since they will still be here. Amen. I think they'll say aliens from outer space. That's why we're hearing all this stuff about UFOs now. They're, they're, they're trying to prepare people. People are gullible. Amen. And I believe that's that's what they'll say. Well, the aliens from outer space come and, and took all them Christians, and you know, and boy, they'll be happy we're gone. Amen. Because they they will. Because the world's going to be so wicked and so evil. But just imagine what it's going to be like. Millions and millions missing. But listen, they're going to be a lot more. I believe billions, not millions, billions left behind. Left behind. In the United States, multitudes. All over the world, multitudes left behind. Amen? And friend, they're going to try to explain it all away. But the problem is not going to be those who are missing. The problem is going to be, friends, the multitudes who are left behind. 
So the first phase of his coming, he comes like a thief in the night. He comes to get his church. You need to be ready, all right? And then the final phase of his coming, we call that the return of Jesus. You have the rapture of the church. He comes in the air to get his church. Then you have the return of Jesus. That's the actual second coming of Jesus. That's when he comes back to the earth with his church. Amen? Turn over to Revelation chapter 19, and we'll look at that event in detail in just a moment, and it's very clear that these are two separate events. But before we read those verses, I need to catch you up to something here. Immediately after the rapture takes place, it's going to begin a time on the earth that the Bible calls the tribulation period. The time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, which I've already mentioned is recorded for us in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Well, before that takes place, the church has to be removed. The church is mentioned 18 times in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and then it's never mentioned again. Why? Because it's not here. The church is gone. Amen? And God's going to remove his beautiful bride. He's going to remove his bride because it's going to be a time of his judgment and his wrath being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. It's going to be seven years long. Half of it's going to look like a time of peace as as the Antichrist comes to power and unites the world politically and, and economically and globally as he signs peace treaties between Israel and the Arabs and letting the Jews build their temple. He's going to accomplish things nobody's ever accomplished, ever. And it's going to look like a time of peace. Uh, it's going to look like the Messiah has come. And, and that world leader will come to the stage. There will be a cashless society. Everybody will be required to take a mark either on their hand or their forehead. And without that mark, you'll not be able to buy. You'll not be able to, you'll not be able to buy groceries or, or gasoline or medicine. You'll not be able to provide for your family. Amen. And during that time, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt immediately. And they will reinstate uh, sacrifices and offerings. But in the middle of that seven-year tribulation, the Bible says that the man of sin, the Antichrist, that global leader, is going to go inside the temple into the Holy of Holies. He's going to put a stop to all that. He's going to declare himself to be God. And he's going to demand that the entire world worship him. And then it's going to be a bloodbath as he begins to persecute the Jews, just like Hitler did, only a hundred times worse. And he'll also persecute any believer, those who, who refuse to take the mark. Amen? There'll be great persecution. There'll be massive disease and death and wars building and uh, escalating throughout all of that time. But, friend, in the time of all of that, it's going to lead up to the battle of all battles, the battle of Armageddon, which will usher in the final phase of the coming of Christ. And he'll come back to the earth. And when he comes back to the earth, he's going to fulfill all his promises to Israel that are yet to be fulfilled. Amen? They will be fulfilled. And this time, when he comes back, friends, he comes back and he's going to establish that millennial kingdom for a thousand years and he's going to come back this time, not as the meek and mild Savior. Friends, he's going to come back as a king and as a judge. Amen? This time, when Jesus comes back, he'll not stand before Pilate. Pilate will stand before Jesus. This time, when Jesus comes back, he'll not be riding on a donkey. He'll be riding on a white 
charger. This time, when he comes back, he'll not be wearing a crown of thorns. He'll be wearing a crown of diadems. Amen? So let's look at it. What, what's it going to look like? Well, Revelation 19, verse 11. First of all, notice his coming. His coming. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's coming back as a king. He's coming back as a judge when he comes in the second coming. But secondly, notice his companions, verse 14. Somebody's coming with him. It says the armies which were in heaven, were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, who are those armies? I believe it represents two different groups. First of all, I believe it represents the holy angels. I believe the holy angels are going to accompany him at his return. Amen? I believe that. But secondly, I believe he's talking about the church. That's why he uses that language about white raiment and white garments. You see, when you come to Christ, friends, all of your sins are forgiven and they're washed away and you receive a righteous standing before a holy God. Amen? The Bible says, though your sins be red like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow when you come to Christ. Amen? And so I believe that's his church. They're going to come back with him, the saints of God. You say, I don't know how to ride a horse. You better take some lessons. Amen? Because you're going to one day. And Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says that this event is visible for everyone to see. Not the rapture. Not the rapture. But at his return, it's visible for everyone to see. So we see his companions. Then finally, we see his conquest. What's going to happen when he comes back? Look at verse 15. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he will smite the nations. And he'll rule them with a rod of iron as he treads the winepress in fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh name written, what? King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? So he's going to come back to the earth. Zechariah chapter 14 verses 3 and 4 says he's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem and, and that the Mount of Olives is going to split in two. It's going to open up a waterway into the Dead Sea. Amen? And he's going to finish off that battle and friends, he's going to rule and reign upon the earth as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? Oh, what a glorious day that's going to be. Now, as I mentioned earlier, in between the two phases of his coming is the tribulation period on the earth. If you're not saved, if you haven't been born again at the time of the rapture, then you're going to miss the rapture and you're going to be left behind and you'll be on the earth during the worst event in the history of the world. You take all the world wars and put them together. You take all the terrorism. You take everything, all the disease, all the pestilence, all, all of that, and put it together. And it is absolutely nothing compared to what the tribulation is going to be like. 
Absolutely nothing. And, and you, you'll have to go through it. The Bible tells us there's going to be war. There's going to be famine. There's going to be disease. There's going to be massive death, unlike ever before in history. There are going to be massive earthquakes and floods, the ocean turning into blood, the moon and the sun not giving off their light. Demons are going to invade uh, the earth, and the world's going to follow that one world leader, the Antichrist. Uh, turn over to Luke 21 for just a minute. Look at Luke chapter 21, and you could find the same thing in Matthew 24, which is talking about during the tribulation period, only a little bit different language over here, as Luke describes it. In Luke 21, pick up about... Uh, Pick up about verse 9. It says, And when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet by and by. Then he said unto them, Nations will rise against nation. Are we seeing that right now in our world? Very much so. And not are they just nations. They are key players in end-time Bible prophecy. Amen? Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Great earthquakes will be in divers. That means unusual, various places. There are going to be famines. There are going to be pestilence. That's talking about disease and pandemics. Anybody know about that? Fearful sights and great signs there will be from heaven. Skip down to verse 17. You'll be hated of all men for my name's sake. I believe he's talking about the Jews. He's talking about Israel. And then verse 20 says, and when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation is nigh. Skip down to verse 25. And there'll be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and up on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves Roaring. That's talking about earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes. Men's hearts failing them for fear, for looking after the things that are coming up on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. You see, friends, you don't want to miss the rapture. Amen? The book of Revelation talks about the massive death. I mean, there, there's like 8 billion on on planet Earth right now, and friend, a large portion of that, a large percentage of that is going to die in a very short amount of time during the, during the tribulation period. I mean, nations are, there are going to be nations rebel against Antichrist, and there are going to be wars, and, 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 uh, the Antichrist is going to deceive people. Again, you, you, you won't be able to buy anything. You won't be able to live unless you take the mark of the Antichrist. You say, well, I'll just take the mark. I'll get in line and take it. Well, when you do, you've signed a contract with the devil himself. You signed a contract with hell. Amen? Forever. And most people on earth are going to take that mark. Any needs that you have, friend, you'll have to have that. Otherwise, you'll have to live like a fugitive, and most likely you'll be martyred. But hear me, friend, if you aren't saved during the time of the rapture, you'll be on this earth during the tribulation, and you will experience the things that the book of Revelation talks about in chapter 6 through 19. So what do we see here tonight? First of all, the rapture of the church. That could happen any time, at any moment. He comes in the air. The trumpet sounds. He comes to get his church. Amen? Only visible for those who know Christ, those who are saved. Seven-year tribulation period. 
And then what? Christ comes back to the earth in his return, in his second coming, to establish his kingdom. So, friends, you just want to make sure that you're sure that you're sure that you know the Lord. Amen? You see, we're not talking here tonight about just being religious. Hey, listen, most people in America are religious. A lot of folks in our churches are religious. They're good people, don't get me wrong. They're good people, but they're religious, and religious people don't go to heaven. Saved people do. Saved people do. You see, I got saved in 1983. I grew up going to church. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus personally. I didn't know him. I didn't have a relationship with him. I, I knew Bible stories, I, all that kind of stuff. But in 1983, friend, the Holy Spirit of God dealt with my heart, showed me I was lost, that I was separated from God. And by faith, I personally received Christ into my life when I committed my life to him to be my Lord and Savior. Amen? I wasn't baptized as an infant, and, and if you are, uh, friend, that isn't going to save you. That doesn't make you a Christian. That's not going to get you to heaven. Amen? It's just not, friend. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just I'm telling you the truth. You can pray the Mary all you want. She isn't going to hear it, and it isn't going to get nowhere. Amen? It ain't going to get anywhere. Mary's a sinner just like you and I, and she had to be saved. A- Amen? I know that's that people don't like to hear that, but it's the truth. Man, you can trust in the Pope all you want. Pope needs to get saved. He doesn't even believe the Bible. Amen? You can trust in him all you want. You can trust in rituals all you want to try to get you to heaven. But none of those things will get you to heaven. And I want to tell you, so that's, that's about being religious. On the other hand, you can say, well... I'm just a good old boy, you know. I don't do anybody any harm. I live a good life. I'm just I'm just a good person. That's great, but being a good person won't get you to heaven either because you can't be good enough. The Bible said there's none righteous, not even one. Amen? You say, well, I'm a Baptist preacher. I am a Baptist. I'm a Southern Baptist, so I know I got it. Hell's going to be full of Baptists, just like it will from all the other churches. Amen? It's great to be a Baptist. I, I, I are one, and, and uh, that's where I want to be. But I'm going to tell you, first of all, if I'm a Christian, being a Baptist isn't going to get me to heaven. Being saved will. Amen? Being saved, knowing Christ is my Lord and Savior. You say, well, I'm a good Well, I do good things. I do good things. I, 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 I help people. I try to pe- treat people the way I want to be treated. That's great. That's good. We ought to do those things. But again, those things, you're not going to get to heaven by works. You can't work your way to heaven. You cannot behave your way to heaven. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You can't be religious enough to go to heaven. You've got to have a relationship with Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're born again. Christ is your Lord and Savior. So, friend, I want to ask you a question tonight. If the rapture happened tonight, well, if it happened right now, if the rapture happened right now, what would this auditorium look like a couple seconds after that trumpet sounds? How many of you would still be sitting here and left behind? You say, I don't know, preacher. Well, if you're not saved, I can tell you, you'll still be here. Amen? And those who know Christ will be gone in a moment. (laughs) 
in a twinkling of the eye. You say, well, preacher, I don't think the Lord will come in my lifetime. Okay, well, let's say that he doesn't. Let's assume he doesn't. We, we don't know. Uh, if he doesn't come, you're still going to die. And you're still going to have to stand before Jesus. Amen? And listen, you'll stand before him as your Lord and Savior with forgiveness of all your sins. Or you'll stand before him as your judge and you'll be condemned to hell forever. Amen? You have to make a choice. I heard about this uh, man. He was on his deathbed dying. He had three sons. He knew he was in the last moments, the last hours of his life. So he called for his three sons to come to his bedside. Two of his sons were Christians. They were saved. One of them, his youngest one, wasn't yet. So they, he had them come in. They all walked into his room, and he called the oldest one to his bed first, and he said, well, son, he said, I love you. I'm proud of you. He said, I'll see you later. And they hugged each other and embraced The second son walked up and his dad looked at him and he said, Son, you know that I love you and I'm proud of you and I'll see you later. I'll see you again. And they hugged each other. And then the third son walked up. The third son didn't know Jesus. He didn't know Christ. And he said, Well, son, I love you. I really do. But goodbye, son. Goodbye, son. And that son said, but dad, you, you told my brothers goodbye, but you told them that you'll see them again. He said, yes, son, I did. Well, you just told me goodbye. You didn't tell me you'd see me again. He said, no, son, I can't. He said, why not? He said, son, because your brothers are saved. They know Jesus. I, I do too. When I die here very shortly, I'm going to heaven. And when they die, so will they. But son, not you. You're not saved. You don't know Christ. And he said, son, if you die in that condition, I'll never see you again. And you'll never see me either. And that son began to weep. And he fell over his daddy's body on there. And he said, he said, listen, he said, I want to be saved. He said, Daddy, I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. And so that daddy, in the last moments of his life, shared the good news of Jesus Christ with his youngest son. He shared the gospel with him. And right there in that room, that younger son prayed and called up on the Lord and asked him to come in his life and asked him to save him. And he got saved. <laughs> you know what happened after that? His daddy looked at him and he said, well, son, I love you. I'm proud of you. And I'll see you again. Amen. I'll see you again. Hear me, friend. If you miss the rapture, you'll never see those loved ones again that knew Jesus ever again ever again. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In a few brief moments, we'll have our invitation and
You know what the invitation is? It's, it's exactly that, an invitation. And an invitation is a time to make a decision. It's a time to decide what you're going to do about the truth that you heard. All right? It's a time decision. We've been here all week in, in this prophecy crusade, revival. And there's been people move every night and people in the altars. And there's been a few folks saved as well. But what is going to be different about your life when you walk out of here tonight after this week? I think some people look at the rapture that they they, they don't want Jesus to come soon because that will interrupt their Florida vacation they got planned. Why? Because, listen, we're more concerned about earthly things than we are about him. Amen? And tonight we're going to open these altars up and Maybe you want to come and just humble yourself and kneel at one of these front pews or right down here tonight and talk to the Lord as a believer and say, Lord, you've stirred my heart this week and you've stirred my heart again tonight. And God, I want to be sold out to Jesus. I don't want to be part-time. I don't want to be halfway. I want to be sold out to him. He is Lord. And when you say Jesus is Lord, you know what that means? That means master. That means boss. Number one in your life, and he ought to be. He ought to be. And you might want to come tonight and surrender afresh to him. There may be some things tonight you need to talk to him about and tell him. You may have some children or some grandchildren in your family or some next-door neighbors or some friends who aren't saved. They're good people. They're good neighbors, but they're just not saved. You love them enough to tell them about Christ? Do you love them enough to pray for them every day and pray for their salvation? Why don't you come tonight also and lift them before the Lord? And maybe husband and wives want to come tonight and kneel together and say, you know, time could be short, and we want to live full throttle ahead for Jesus. Full throttle ahead, no more excuses. We're going to get our priorities in order. Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we're to seek him first and put him first. And maybe tonight you need to come and make that decision here this evening. Friend, if you drove past your neighbor's house tonight on your way home and you saw that it was on fire and you knew them that they went to bed early and you figured they were probably in bed asleep, would you just pass on by and say, I sure hope uh, somebody helps them. No, you wouldn't do that. You know what you'd do? First of all, if you'd call 911, right? And then you'd go up and bust the door down if you could or bust out whatever you could to get in there and wake them up and get them out of that house. Why? Because you love them and you care about them. Well, friends, we got people all around us. You got a whole town just like the town I live in with people lost and dying without Christ every single day, every hour, every moment, every second. And the only hope they have is somebody like you and I tell them about Jesus. So why don't you come tonight and humble yourself in these altars and and, and say, God, help me to be a witness. Help me to be faithful in telling others about you. But then finally, you're here tonight and you say, Preacher, you, you kept using that word saved over and over and over. You kept using that word born again. I had a lady tell me one time she didn't like me using that word. I said, why, I said, why is that? That's not at this church. It was somewhere. And she said, uh, 
that's a Baptist word. And I said, no, it's a Bible word. It's a Bible word. Amen? The, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Jesus said, unless a man's born again, he'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. And friend, I want to ask you a question right now, like I have every single night, and I want you to be judgment day honest. How many of you here tonight could say, I'm saved, I'm, I'm at complete peace about that. I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Preacher, I could tell you all about it. Man, I, I have a spiritual birthday as well as a physical birthday. I have both of them. And I've received Christ into my life. And I'm at peace that if I die tonight, I know I'll go to heaven, not because I deserve to go to heaven, but because I'm saved. Or if he comes in a rapture tonight, I know that I'll go with him because I'm saved. I know Christ. How many of you could say that tonight? Would you point a hand toward heaven if you could say that? If not, don't you dare put up your hand. Don't you dare. God will see it. But, friend, if so, you ought to put your hand up. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen? All right. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Lots of hands went up, several, as I knew there would be, and there were several hands that did not go up as well on every side of the building. And for those of you who couldn't lift your hands up tonight, friend, what is it? Do you know that you're not saved, or are you in a position where you say, I just don't know if I'm saved? Well, I want to tell you, neither one of them's good. And you need to settle it tonight, and you can settle it tonight. How can you have the Savior of this world step in your heart and you not know it? When I got saved in February 1983, he changed my life completely, completely. I mean, I, I mean everything about my life. He didn't make me perfect. He didn't make me sinless. I'm still not there yet. But he changed my life and he changed my heart. He changed my desire. He changed my priorities and everything about me. It's a life-changing experience. True salvation is life-changing. Religion will do nothing but make you miserable, but salvation will give you life. You say, well, I want to be saved tonight. Preacher, tell me how to be saved. I want to tell you how to be saved. And listen, I don't care if I was speaking to a youth group, if I was speaking to a children's class, if I was speaking at a nursing home, if I was speaking in Africa or India or some other country in the world, I'm going to say the same thing every time. Every time, because there's only one plan of salvation. So what do you got to do to be saved? Listen to me very carefully, and then you're going to have an opportunity to be saved. First of all, if you've got to admit to yourself and admit to God that you're not. Nobody's ever gotten saved without knowing it. That's impossible. That doesn't happen. That's impossible. It doesn't happen. Amen? You realize, God, I am a sinner. I deserve hell. I'm under your condemnation. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, which is separation. And so that's the first step. Admit, I am a sinner. I need Christ. That's why you need to be saved, friend. That's why you need to be saved. You might be a good person, but the Bible says you're still a sinner. You need Christ. Secondly, You've got to be willing to repent of your sins. What does that mean? That means to have a change of mind about your sin, about yourself, and about God. God, I don't want to live in this condition any longer, and I'm willing to turn from the way I'm living, and I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to turn to Christ because I need him. I need him. Even a child can repent, usually a lot easier than an adult can. So would you be willing to repent? Thirdly, you've got to believe. 
I mean, this is it. This is a big one. You've got to place your faith and trust in Christ, knowing that you're a sinner, knowing that you need him, that you need to be saved. You trust the only one that can save you, and his name is Jesus. The church can't save you. No church can save you. Rituals cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. And so you trust him. Romans 10, 9 explains it best. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, confess him as Lord, your Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Then verse 10 explains verse 9. We always leave that verse out, but it explains verse 9. It says, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So would you be willing to believe on Jesus tonight? Not just believe about him believe on him. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Acts 16, the story of the Philippian jailer. You all remember that? Well, Paul and Silas were in jail. It was at midnight, and they were singing praises to God. God sent an earthquake, shook the foundation of the prison. The doors fell off. They were free to go. And that jailer, knowing under Roman authority, he'd be put to death if they escaped. He pulled out a sword, and he was about to kill himself. And Paul said, he said, hey, buddy. He said, don't do yourself any harm. We're still here. We're still here. And it says that the jailer came trembling and he fell down before him. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not about him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And as you read on down in that chapter, it's obvious his whole family ended up getting saved that night. Amen. Paul went to their house, led the whole family to the Lord. Then he baptized every one of them that night, that very night. So you believe on Jesus. Not enough to believe about Jesus. That's just believing in his existence. That will not save anybody. That's not Bible faith. Believing on Jesus means you trust him. You commit your life to him. You surrender your life to him. How do you do it? By faith, by believing. Then finally, you've got to personally receive him. Are you willing to believe tonight? You say, yes, I am, preacher. Well, great. Then make that final step. Personally receive him into your life. John 1.12 says to those that receive him, to them, he gave power to become children of God. You can receive him tonight, friends. Romans 10.13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I'm going to pray a short, simple prayer right now, but a powerful prayer. And I'm just going to do what Romans 10.13 says. But listen, I can't do it for, for you or for anybody else. You've got to call upon the Lord. You have to believe. You have to trust Christ. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And and listen, if you're not sincere, that prayer won't mean anything. It won't mean anything. It won't go above the ceiling. And just repeating some words after me won't mean anything unless you're truly believing in your heart. It's not the words that are going to save you. It's Jesus that's going to save you. It's trusting Jesus. Amen? I want to make that clear. And praying this prayer, you're just simply admitting, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I need you, Jesus, and I want you to come into my life. He's not going to come where he's not been invited. It's just not. So right now, I want to pray this simple prayer. And you say, man, I want Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to know that I'll go to heaven. I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want to know that I've not missed a rapture. Then just call up on the Lord right now. I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray out loud with me. Or you can just pray quietly right there where you're seated. Or you can get out of your seat right now and start making your way down here, fall on this altar, and just call up on the Lord yourself and just say, Lord Jesus, I want you to save me. He will if you mean it. Come down here and take Brother Tracy's hand and say, Brother Tracy, I need to be saved. 
man, he'll introduce you to him. You say, what do I say, preacher? Just say something like this, something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm lost, and I need you. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And Lord Jesus, right now, I trust you. I believe on you. I ask you to come into my heart, save my soul, forgive me of all my sins, and change my life. Thank you for saving me tonight. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. Help me to live the rest of my life for you. Help me to never be ashamed of you. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. You say, preacher, sounds too simple. Well, it is simple. But the thing is, it's got to be a heart condition. You've got to mean it. Jesus said, whoever confesses me before others, I'll confess before the Father. Whoever denies me before others, I'll deny before the Father. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Every person Jesus called to follow him, he called them publicly, publicly. So I want you to have the opportunity to do that tonight, all right? I'm just trying to help you. So I'm going to ask you right now, I'm going to ask you to do two things tonight. The first thing is this. If you just now prayed with me, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come and grab you by the arm or something. But if you just now prayed with me and you truly met it, God God will see your hand. But more importantly than that, he sees your heart. Would you just slip up your hand and say, I did. I, I called up on the Lord and I asked him to save me. Amen. Who else tonight? I called up on the Lord and I asked him to save me. I asked him to come into my life. All right. You say, what do we need to do now, preacher? Here's what you need to do. In just a brief moment, we're all going to stand. Brother Tory's going to lead a song. Pastor's standing down there. He's ready. If you called up on the Lord tonight, as soon as we stand, in fact, you don't have to wait till we stand. Get out of your seat. Make your way down this aisle and come directly to the pastor and say, Pastor, I called up on the Lord tonight. I asked him to save me. You want to make your decision public. I told you there's two things you need to do. First one is just to raise your hand to acknowledge that, yes, I, I'm i trusting Christ. For that, and that's great. I rejoice with you. Then you come tonight and you and the pastor help you make your decision public in this place. That's the way Jesus said to do it, make it public. And this is how we do it. So you come tonight and do that. You say, what about me, preacher? I, I didn't pray that prayer with you. And that's why I didn't raise a hand. But I want to be saved. So what I need to do, do the same thing. Just get up and come. Just get up and come. As soon as Brother Tracy's available, you say, Brother Tracy, I need to be saved. He'll lead you to Jesus. It's that simple. So here's the invitation. If you want to get saved tonight, you come right now. You come right now. You just get down here and wait. The devil will tell you to stay in your pew. You get up and come. Don't stay in your pew. You get out immediately and come. And Tracy will lead you to Christ. You need other decisions tonight. Listen, these front pews are altars. Or you can use this. Friend, there ought to be a lot of movement here tonight. I believe every time that an invitation is given, some call it an altar call. I believe the altars ought to be flooded every single time. Not just in a revival, but when your pastor's preaching. We ought to come and humble ourselves and pray. We're getting ready to go to battle. We're going to battle over the souls. 
of people tonight. We need intercessors down here. You say, I can pray just as well in my pew. I understand that. I understand that. But there's just something about humbling yourself before God. Why don't you come tonight and get in that altar? Maybe you need to come tonight and talk to the Lord and ask him to do a fresh work in your life. Come tonight and say, Lord, you've spoke to me this week in this conference. Now here's what I'm going to do about it. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Would you stand with us, please? Father, we commit this invitation time to you. Thank you for the one that's already come. There's others that still need to come and make that decision to receive Christ. And, Father, I pray there will be many Christians come and just fill up these altars tonight and draw close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.